One, two, three. Harold and Brad. Windy City Filmmakers. Harold and Brad. Windy City Filmmakers. Harold and Brad. Three, two, one. What's going on, y'all? Brad Stevens here for another edition of the Harold and Brad Winnie City Filmmakers Podcast. HD, what's going on, brother? What's up, B? What's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> hey, hey, we got a special guest here today. This guy's been in a plethora of movies and plays on Broadway, and, and you guys already know it's Harry Lennox. He's done The Man of Steel, The Five Heartbeats, <laughs> uh, Titus, Batman versus Superman, Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolution, Ray, and the uh, TV shows, my all-time favorite, The Blacklist, because his character's name is what? Harold! <laughs> <laughs> No doubt. So, so the first question we are we usually kick things off with it's a two parter, and it's what's your connection to Chicago, and what kind of art do you create? Well, my connection to Chicago is uh, is, is from the room. My mother had me at Mercy Hospital um, many years ago. Now. Nice. I <laughs> will go back to the outlaw, but that's where I was born and raised on the south side there and uh, grew up in South Shore. Uh, went to Catholic schools uh, my whole life, except for college. When I, when I transferred out, I was studying to be a, a priest, actually. And uh, I transferred out and went to Northwestern University, which okay. was not a seminary, and right. uh, but where I actually became a professional actor while I was still there. And I guess a lot of the work that I do, or the kind of work that I do, it's it's very a good deal. But in some way, I think it's always, uh, you know, informed by the fact that I had a background uh, steeped in Catholicism and, and, uh, and thinking about Christianity in some way, trying to be of service in some way. So I guess, you know, in a lot of ways, I do uh, a little bit more formal work and most black actors, I think, you know, I don't, I haven't played a whole lot of street uh, people and so forth. I've done a couple of things, but uh, my sort of interest has always been in language plays, plays that require a good deal of language such as Shakespeare or August Wilson. Nice. And any of the so-called classics. So, yeah. Right, you, we know that's a good transition. Just about to ask, we, we were talking to James, our mutual friend James Alfred. Well, what do you love about August Wilson and his, and his work and his writing? Well, what what you just mentioned about you know the language um, beyond the, the the poetry of it, the 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 heft and the 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 power and the 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 strength that he conveys of, of, of our people, the strength of our people, women in particular, black women in particular, uh, that he conveys in his work. Well, you know, I think that there's a good deal of commonality between them. A lot of people, I, I suspect, think that, you know, the people have had the chance to do both plays, playwrights. Uh, people like Keith David, for example, who was a, a wonderful actor, great actor. Uh, I saw him do Seven Guitars. I saw him do... Uh, uh, 
uh, Othello, you know, he's, he's, so there's a kind of, um, you said musicality, and I think that that's right. Poetry, uh, heightened language, really. Um, but more so than the language, I think it's the, the characters, that is, that the uh, type of people, the personae, the dramatist personae that are created, represent more than just individuals filling out a particular plot. They are representative, what, what uh, the great theatrical critic Harley Granville Barker refers to as representatively human. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at somebody like Troy Maxson, it's an almost operatic-sized uh, character. Uh, somebody like Harold Loomis, these are characters that could be a part of the mythology. And I think that that's really what, what they've done. Right. Of course, Shakespeare goes right and pulls characters right out of Greek mythology, Roman mythology, and so forth. Great historical figures such as Julius Caesar, you know, these people whose grandeur, whose size, as it were, right. are, are more than just the normal person. So, so, um, Let's uh, go back. You started your career at uh, while you were at Northwestern and uh, you began, I'm sure, doing theater shows and plays and diving off into training Uh, and moving forward a little bit. Let's talk about uh, getting cast in the five heartbeats. How did that work out? How did that come about? Oh, man. Yeah, this is uh, one of those stories that, you know, I so long ago now. But one of those things that I can't forget because I was teaching school, I was a substitute teacher uh, at Bass Elementary School for many years, right across the street from Ogden Park. And so my principal is was Mrs. Marcella Gilly. Uh, she was the mother of one of my best friend Nick Gilly, who's a new, by the way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she gave me a kind of latitude where she would allow me to go and audition for things. I could take a half day. For example, go and teach in the morning, leave at lunchtime, go off and do an audition. It didn't happen a lot, but uh, but I did that particular day. And I went downtown, Chicago. Shemin Bernard was casting. I had met Shemin Bernard. I think she's from Chicago, by the way. Okay. And, um, and Robert Townsend was in the room. And so I didn't know that he was going to be in the room, but we just sat and we talked. And he asked me what I was doing. Uh, with my life, and I told him, well, you know, actually, I'm a school teacher. <laughs> and I think more than anything, I didn't read any lines from the movie. I didn't uh, have to audition in that sense. I don't think any of us did. We just right. sat and talked to it. Uh, and that's how I got the part. You know, I, I went out. This is an interesting story. Nick and I drove from Chicago to New York. I'm sorry, to L.A. We drove from Chicago to L.A. It took us like 48 hours. Man, uh, yeah, spent <laughs> the night in Amarillo, Texas, or Amarillo, <laughs> Texas, and uh, had a steak or something, and, and got in there. And about two weeks later, I'm sitting around Nick's apartment, his crowded little studio, uh, where I was flopping, you know, just to do pilot season. This is going back to 1990, and that pilot season, I was two or three auditions a day, you know, things were, were humping. This was in the days of network television. And, and uh, so you would have 40 or 50 pilots shot, you know, in a, in a given season. Probably more than that now, by the way. 
I get a call. You know, I didn't book any of those. I didn't get I didn't get Jack. Right. But I get a call from my agent, Elizabeth Geddes, and she says, you know, that movie that you went and read with and talked to Townsend, they want you to be one of the heartbeats. <laughs> so I was, uh, you know, these things don't happen in real life. So, you know, right. I, I was uh, over the moon and, uh, and we went pretty much right into rehearsal. That's nice. You know, one thing that, that I love that story. I love that story. What I also love when you would talk about the pilot season, how you just went on so many auditions. We interviewed like uh, Nicole Thurman. We did with the second season together. We were talking about it, and she was saying how she was doing a TV show, and then it got canceled. And she was saying all the things that went through her head about man, am I am I going to start being a waitress again? You know, and we were just talking about the ebb and flow of the industry, how you could be hot, then boom, radio silence, <laughs> right? So how did you navigate those waters? Like when you were like going on auditions and just going on auditions and like nothing seemed to be falling in place before the film hit. How do, how do you navigate, keep your confidence up, so to speak? You know, it was interesting. There's so many of them. There were so many auditions. Uh, none of them had any particular great meaning for me. Right. You know, it wasn't like I was auditioning to play Hamlet or something <laughs> every day. Right. right. Yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, uh, playing some cop in some background yeah. thing uh, because nobody knew me. You know, I was I was something of a of a commodity in Chicago, but L.A. didn't give a damn about that. So right. I, uh, <laughs> I was a, a stage star in Chicago. But uh, but that's really how I handled it. Is that, yeah. uh, you know, I was still doing plays. I would go back to Chicago. Uh, I was even traveling with a play where I did play Malcolm X. Yes. Of the meeting for many years. Yes. Yeah. So we would put that up. Uh, and, and I was also doing other things at the time. I was doing the great Gatsby nice. stage at the Wisdom Bridge Theater with my friend John Carlisle directing. So, you know, I had a, I had a, a vibrant theatrical career. And so right. that, that's how, um, I kept the confidence up to me. You know, that, that was more proof of concept than anything that I didn't get. Right. You know, that, that, you know, some small part in some, some tiny little movie or what have you. So it, it didn't, um, I, I didn't really care about it. Okay. I, I, nice. I, I, yeah, right. I, I, I cared I and mean, I wanted to be successful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and make the big bucks at some point, you know, rather than having to teach school, for example. But no that said, uh, yeah. So here's a great question. So what what opened everything up for you? What what particular role or moment that you think uh, opened it up where the, the floodgates opened up for you? Well, I'll let you know when it happens, Harold. Uh, you know, <laughs> from my mouth to God's ear, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, but, you know, it's it's a, it's a trippy thing. You know this. Both of you know this as well as I do. Uh, you know, unless you're like an A-list guy, I'm not an A-lister. You know, I'm okay, not a household yeah. name. I'm a, I'm a working actor. You know, I right. had, uh, had a lot of uh, fun and a fair amount of success in this in this end of it. You know, this this right. kind of uh, uh, character acting thing. But yeah, yeah there'll be a year that'll go by, and I won't I, I won't be able to get arrested. <laughs> You know, right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there was a stretch there. Uh, I think in 2010, 2012, where the only things that I did were, you know, movies 
uh, that I produced myself, you know, yeah. and paid for, right. and, and financed. Uh, one of them I wrote, you know, but uh, then something happened, you know, with uh, Man of Steel, Zach nice. and Man of Steel. And then from that time, I really have not been without work just because of the show. So I went from Man of Steel uh, almost immediately into uh, The Blacklist. Right, and, and the blacklist has been on for eight years, so I haven't. Man, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Man of Steel, Batman, and Matrix Reloaded, uh, Matrix Revolution, Ray, Ray came about, and I'll have to say you were absolutely wonderful with all of those languages and accents. So I was like, oh my god, that was such a beautiful display of talent, man. It was, oh. it was, it was amazing. So, so uh, let's let's talk about uh, Broadway and uh, rolling right into the uh, film uh, Titus playing Aaron. How, how did how did that go? Getting on the Broadway, doing that show with those people, and then going right into Titus. I think it wasn't in that order, you know. It was, uh, I think what happened, let me just uh, refresh my memory. So I moved to New York in 90, like 1990, okay. 91 or something. I had just done a fellow at the Court Theater. Uh, right here on, in High Park. Yeah. In High Park. Great, great, great theater company, directed by my dear friend Eric Simonson, great uh, director, writer, uh, Stephen Wolfer. And so uh, I, I, I moved out to New York right after that permanent location in that. And I had auditioned already for this group called Theater for a New Audience uh, before I, I, I made the, the move. And at that meeting uh, to audition for Theater for a New Audience, I met a great artistic director named, uh, named Jeffrey Horowitz. Shortly thereafter, I met the great Julie Table. Yeah. By Ivan. And, uh, and she was doing Titus Andromache, asked me to do it. I think she asked Andre Brower to do it. Nice. And he, yeah. thought that the, uh, he thought that the character of Aaron Moore was somehow an insult to black people. <laughs> right. But I love Andre. He's my friend. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Andre, by the way, Westside. And, and, you know, many people uh, have a horrible opinion about uh, Titus Andronicus. I think okay, it's a yeah. bad play. That, but I think it's a great play. But that said, I did the part. Um, that play got a lot, production got a lot of attention. You know, it's a very rarely done play up until that point. And, uh, and so I auditioned for ER and they wanted me to fly out to LA to do the final screen test. And it was this was with the producers and all that. I would have started working. That was a Saturday that they wanted me to fly out. And <laughs> if I had gotten the part, it was between me and Eric LaSalle. Right. If I got that part, I'd start working Monday. So that means that I wouldn't be able to do the play anymore. There was no understudy. There was no way for that play <laughs> to go on. Wow. Oh, man. So I called the theater. I was like, uh, Julie, you know, look, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. I right. I am famous. And she said, you can't do this, Harry. <laughs> you will be disappointing the audiences and so the other actors and there's nothing you you know we can't accommodate so right. if you want to ruin this theater we can go right ahead and fly yeah wow so I didn't I, I, I stayed uh, on the job and uh, for my $200 a week 
Oh were, man, that's dedication. You, yeah. You, you know what? You you were noble in that. Uh, it's team player. That, yeah. That, yeah, team player for real. Is that, is that what they call it? Because my my brother uh, ah. called it stupid. Ah, right. Ah. <laughs> I can see that. That was like ninety four. Okay. Yeah. All right. So in ninety five, I moved out to LA, and again, I think I drove out there with Nick. You know, Nick. Yeah. And uh, roomed with him again. I started auditioning for a bunch of stuff. Uh, and then in 98, 1998, they made a movie of Titus. Right. And so, and so I did that movie. But I didn't do any uh, with, with Anthony Hopkins and Jessica Lang and a bunch of other great actors. But I didn't do uh, Broadway until 2007. That was, okay. Um, right. Yeah. That's the first and only time I've ever been on. So, right. so that, that was amazing what you did in Titus because James showed it to me. <laughs> you know, oh. he's like, here, watch this. I was like, yeah, I want to watch it. And it was, you had moments and after moment after moment. I didn't look at you as a villain. I looked at you as beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. I agree. Beautiful <laughs> monologue, too. Wow. Yeah. Eloquent. Man, Eloquent. that's funny. I didn't know people felt that way because, like, uh, kind of like doing Shakespeare, too. And that Aaron monologue is one of my favorite monologues, right? I, I think it's a beautiful piece. And I just love the uh, defiance that Aaron has, even in the midst of his impending doom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That he still is very defiant. And once again, how beautiful he's saying to a degree these very ugly things that he's done. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's, 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 uh, it really is a virtuosic um, piece of writing. You know, right. it, it's got beautiful black pride language. I think it's perhaps one of the most prideful monologues uh, yeah. uh, of strength and, 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 uh, and self-respect and self-value. Right. He says that, I, you know, listen, I would kill the whole world to save this little boy. Right. Better than all of you. Yes. You know, I, yes. Love, I love that. So, well, that's one of the monologues. Now, 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 Blacklist, like you said, it's been eighth, it's into the eighth season going on and on. How was how that for you to continuously come on and do the show and, 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 and have work continuous? How was how that feeling and, and how is that the set life and everything for you? Well, it's certainly the longest job I've ever had continuously. You know, okay, I, yeah. I did over the course of 10 years, I, I might have done Malcolm X for a while there. And, you know, return to that pool, so to speak. Right. I probably did hundreds of performances of that, but now that pales in comparison to uh, we've done 160 or 70 episodes of the Blacklist. Like that's that's a lot. Uh, and I think that the, the thing I take away from it is that it's uh, a chance to keep to evolve a character. You know, you get to grow with it, age with the character. Uh, you get to know these people in this long-form storytelling, which is a kind of uh, training I think that every actor should get a crack at doing a serial performance because, right. you know, that kind of long-form thing, you get to, your, your knowledge of the character, what that character knows, that you, the actor, does not know. Do not yeah. know. It's very interesting. You know, I, I frequently get philosophical about acting. What does the actor need to know about the character he's playing at any given time. Because in reality, you couldn't really know everything because that's an entirely different human being in theory, right? Yeah. So, uh, the writer who wrote it uh, only puts these moments of that of that persona's life 
you know, onto the page. But before that scene that starts the play, uh, or, or some events that happen, you know, when he's having dinner, you know, someplace off stage, there's right. a whole world. No doubt. So you can't, I don't think, know everything. Nor right. is it, uh, but I, I'm curious because in this case, actors have to make decisions about how they're going to deliver a line, what yes. they think about a particular thing, what's going on in their mind, and that may be a complete variance with what the writer is thinking. Right. So you're always playing catch-up. You know, I'm all you're always getting to learn more about the people who invented these characters or, 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 or decide <laughs> what plot points they're going to have. It's very, very interesting. So I've kind of let go of the control freakery that was uh, in the early part of my career. Right. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Exhaustive research and right. the answer. What the oh, no was. doubt. Yeah, and this is week to week. It's uh, in many cases day to day. Oh la la. Yeah.